and teleport. Those of you that uh, are watching or listening uh, around the country or around the world, we thank you all for being with us today. And, uh, and of course, anytime if you're here in, uh, in Birmingham and you want to come see us at the studio, we're here at noon local time. Uh, we go noon to one. Uh, and we've walked through a number of Bible studies. If you, you have not, if you have not been part of this in the past, maybe today's the first day that you've joined us, uh, there is a mountain of Bible studies that are out there from the last four years. You can gather those by going to BurgessMinistries.com and clicking on Media. Some of the series you can find right here on the YouTube channel, or if you're listening to the podcast, you can find some of the archives here as well. Uh, we're going to go into a time of prayer to get started. I do want to make uh, the guys here aware of that of this that are in the room, and for those of you around the country to pray with us. Uh, we just uh, had one of our brothers that we uh, that's part of our church family where I go to church, Jeff Looney. Uh, he and I have been teaching uh, youth together for quite a while and love his family, and he is uh, going through a battle with cancer. Today was supposed to be a day that they were going to do the final surgery, uh, and uh, they thought they had all the cancer taken care of, and now they were going to take out any of the areas that might be susceptible. Sadly, uh, when they opened him up, they discovered the cancer has spread, and they've sent him back home. So we're going to pray for him specifically, and and hopefully that this is just a setback. Uh, and uh, and that that the, but he's you know when you when you think you're getting toward the end of something, and you're prepared for what was going to be a difficult surgery anyway, and now you got to go all the way back, and uh, and probably do some more treatments, and then get back to the surgery again. That's going to be a real prayer that he doesn't go into a a, a time of despair and uh, for his family. So we're going to specifically pray for him today. Uh, and uh, for others who couldn't be here with us today. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, let's just take our brother Jeff Looney right now, and we just, we just lay him at your feet. Uh, all the men here in this room and those that are part of this Wednesday Bible study all across the country and around the world, we pray specifically for Jeff and, and the Looney family. But Lord, we know that today, though the doctors were surprised to find what they found, you were not, uh, and, and this did not catch you off guard. Uh, and I know that, Lord, you have a, a purpose uh, and, and your will is being worked through this. And I pray that the Looney family and any of us close to them, we don't miss the teaching that you are providing. No one teaches like you. But, but we ultimately pray for healing. Uh, we know that you are capable of, of complete healing. Uh, we ultimately submit to your will. But I just pray right now today, specifically, don't let Jeff and his family turn into a time of despair. These kind of setbacks are so difficult. But I pray they just run back into your comforting arms and continue to be refined by the process. Lord, I pray for us as we open your word, we don't take it lightly today. I pray that we take it and we apply it to our lives. Lord, I know there's all sorts of different strategy and things that are put out before us right now uh, involving this men's ministry as it goes forward and this ministry in general. Help us, Lord, to be wise, to know what to do. I pray for the pastor's conference that is coming to the city of Birmingham as thousands of pastors are coming from all over the country to be challenged and refined. I pray that you be glorified by that. I pray, I pray that these pastors hear a word. I pray, Lord, that you uh, uh, help that uh, conference to run smoothly. Uh, and I pray today, Lord, that you be with each and every one of us and that we hear exactly what you want us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, because so, uh, so excited right now. Uh, today, one of my sons, Brooks Burgess, is here today running camera for us. So it's good to have my son here with us back from college uh, as we open up God's Word. Now, if you have... Uh, the Pursuit of Holiness uh, by Jeff Bridges. We're, we're going to be in chapter 6, but I wanted to read something to talk about the purpose of, of really all the Bible studies that we do here. Uh, I had a brother that um, I'm always looking for new things to, to challenge me, and I, you know how much I love Oswald Chambers and uh, my utmost for his highest. It's one of the best daily devotions that I've ever read. 
But somebody said, well, here's one you may like too, and it's called Thoughts from the Diary of a Desperate Man. And I, as soon as I heard that title, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm in. Uh, Walter A. Hendrickson, uh, I'm not familiar with Walter, some of you may be, but I like that title, Thoughts from the Diary of a Desperate Man. And I was reading one that, that, that really jumped out at me about how we're all trying to realize that too many times, if you could take these Bible studies and kind of you know, oversimplify them and underline, you say what? We feel like that we're trying to see that the Bible says that too many times the gospel have, has been sold too low. I mean, it's really been sold that, that really nothing really miraculous really happens. You just, you're really just trying to keep yourself from going to hell, but it really doesn't change your life, and it's, it doesn't have that much impact on this side of heaven. So um, the, the title of this day uh, out of this, this uh, devotional says, Establishing Your Purpose. He starts off with 2 Samuel 14, 14. We must all die. We are like water split on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. And if some of you are honest, and if I was honest, there's been times we felt this way. Listen to this. If you strip life of all assumptions and presuppositions and look at it flat, it would be easy to conclude that it is void of meaning. A man is born, he lives, he dies. Between his birth and his death, he is perpetually opposed. Nothing comes easily for him. He is not as clever, strong, or agile as he would like to be. This is one of the reasons uh, people compete with one another. They cannot meet their own expectations, so they take solace in being better than somebody else. Circumstances such as disease, accidents, and an unpredictable market rob him of his ability to meet his goals completely. People oppose him. They're not nice, and he vacillates between feeling like a victim and in moments of honesty, admitting that he also is not nice to others. In the course of life, he marries, he has a family, he covets for his children, a life easier than the one he has experienced, but statistically, he has no more than a 50% chance of seeing this happen for his children. His children may die early, contract terrible diseases, become addicted to drugs or alcohol, or have unhappy marriages. His later years confirm his suspicions regarding the futility of life. If he does not die prematurely, he exists life the same way that he entered it in need of others to feed him, change his diapers, and hopefully give, um, give him a little love. When he dies, it is though he had never been. When he dies, it is though he has never been. Not only do the following generations forget he existed, the place of his burial soon ceases to acknowledge that he was there. You can see why the first job of any religion is to define purpose. Why are you here? The whole scripture asserts that this life is the seed time of eternity. Your only purpose for living this life is to prepare for an eternity with God. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. God asks that you be stewards of your most precious resource, time, so that you live wisely in light of eternity. Wow. I, 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 thought, I, thought that, I thought that was powerful because if every man was honest, you've experienced that full range of what he's talking about. And if you've lived long enough, and if you haven't, you, you will. And, and so what the good thing is, especially for the young guys that are in here with us, go ahead and figure this out now. Of all the different things you'll find in the world, I remember the great John Lennox saying this the first time I ever heard him say it. He said, the problem with science and the problems with all the intelligence that the world can muster, it still can't answer the questions of a child. Who am I? Where did I come from? And why am I here? But the Bible is the only resource that actually tells you and me our purpose. And, and all of this is about God preparing us 
for eternity. And so that, that to me, go, gets, kind of feathers so perfectly into this study because this pursuit of holiness, I think many times, if we were honest, we would, we would get over here on the side and say, I know nobody needs to hear me say this, but as long as I'm not going to hell, does the rest of this really matter? And, 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 and the answer is yes. Yes, it does, because it's preparing us for eternity. We're being refined and being made more like Christ, and we're becoming more like God because Jesus redeemed us in, from, from the place where our spirit was dead, and we had no standing with God. And, but see, what now has happened now is he's starting to prepare us. Eternity for us that have been justified begins now. Now, we're going we're to change bodies, and we're going to change flesh, but our spirit is now being prepared to live in eternity with a holy God, and we've been called to be justified and go out and try to what? Disciple the rest of the world. And you can't do that if you don't mature in your faith. Many people, you said, we started this men's ministry. One thing I try to say to all the pastors I get a chance is one of the biggest mistakes of men's ministry is it does nothing but treat symptoms. It never treats the disease. You know, and there's certainly all, we could give a, a, a litany of list of, of what symptoms are that why men are not holy, but really at the, at the center of it all, the disease is they've never been discipled. Most men are never carried from spiritual infancy to spiritual, just, uh, uh, spiritual maturity if they've ever been justified at all. So even if, they're, if, even if they're not unjustified, they're worthless for the kingdom, they're worthless for their family, they're worthless for the church, they're worthless for society because they just stay in this perpetual infancy spiritually and have no impact. So that's what this is all about, just a reminder. So now we talk about the battle. And the reason why I set all that up is I want you to know the battle's worth it, but it is what? A battle. If Paul said he fought a good fight, guess what it was? A fight. And so Romans 7.21, you see Paul getting frustrated because here's what he said. And we love chapter 7 in Romans because he's kind of letting us off the hook for a minute after Romans 6 before he plows into us again in Romans 8. But here's what he says. He says, so I find this law at work in me. Now I've been justified, but here's what I find now. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Okay, so what's happening here? Why has Paul not been delivered from the battle? Because he's got to, he's got to, he's got to, he's got to fight. And so here's the part, though, that separates the, the cultural Christian from the real Christian. Through our union with Christ in his death, we are delivered. Remember we talked about in our last, this is a review back to what we just talked about. We are delivered from the dominion of sin. Everybody listen. We are delivered from the dominion of sin. You have been freed from sin. You and I have not been freed to sin. We're really going to bury that today, okay? He says so, but we still find sin struggling to gain its mastery over us. We talked about last week, Galatians 5. Now the battle started. The only difference now is before we were justified, there wasn't a battle. Remember last week, the most convicting thing it was for me is when we sin now, you, you sin as a free man. You don't, sin as a, you don't sin as a slave to sin anymore. You've now been freed from being a slave to sin. Now you, you're just returning back to slavery. And, and so, but the battle is there. And even Paul says, but so too many people, this is important, this is really important. Too many people take this verse and this chapter of Romans and they act like that Paul never got over the sin, like he didn't win. No, no, he just says it's there. He didn't say he's giving into it. He just says it's there. And, you know, I had somebody do this the other night. I was talking. He said, well, you know, Paul said he was the king of sinners. No, no, no. Paul said he was the king of sinners. That's why he had to be given so much grace. 
But then he went on to say that that grace that was given him would never be in vain. He didn't die of the king of sinners. He said, I was redeemed as one of the king of sinners. Because he just says, I'm about to receive the crown of righteousness. Some people act like Paul just never, he never got any better. No, I mean, that's just not true. So here's what he said. He says, we may not like the fact that we have this lifelong struggle with sin. Raise your hand if you don't like it. I don't like it. Okay? But, and this is important, the more we realize and accept it, the better equipped we will be to deal with it. you got to know it's real. Yeah, we, we, you tell people all the time, look, what you're thinking may be fun to think. It's just not reality. I, I was coaching. Have I told you the coaching thing about the kid, delusional? Have I used this example? If I have, you probably like me, you've forgotten it. But anyway, so, so this is a perfect example. Same thing with my own life. I was coaching a kid, and I kept trying to correct him on the physicality of playing defense, and it, it wasn't getting corrected. And this is exactly what Jerry's talking about. And so finally, I pull him out of the game. And I pull him over, and I said, and, and I was as calm as I could be. And I said, I have to ask you a question, because I think this, this is, we're, about, we're about to get past this, this block that we have with each other. I said, you hear me saying things you need to do. Yes, sir. Do you think you're doing them? Yes, sir. I said, so you think you're physical? He said, I do. I said, that's it. You're delusional. You, you don't really, you, do, you know, he wasn't, he didn't understand the situation. He thought he was doing what I wanted him to do, but he wasn't. In his mind, he was like, I'm quite physical. And I said, see, that's it. You, you think you're physical, but you're really not. So you can be upset and think that you don't want to be part of the lifelong struggle and think there's not going to be a struggle and be, you know, go into despair because there's a struggle. But your best chance of winning the struggle is to acknowledge it will be a struggle. Right? The reality of it all. That's what Paul's talking about. He's just saying, hey, don't feel weird about this. Remember what I said about my oldest son last week? Hey, man, I want you to know that everybody's struggling with this. You're not alone. It was kind of, he goes, I thought I was the only one. Paul's just saying that he acknowledges the difficulty of it all, but he is not saying that he constantly gave into it. He's not saying that at all. The more we discover about the strength of our indwelling sin, the less we feel its effects. Think about everything in life. Think about everything in life. If you, get, if you start experiencing it enough, you kind of become numb to it. Now, that can be bad or that could be good. And, and Meaning, you know, how many times have you thought to yourself, I, I mean, any, think about any competition you've ever been in. You ever been the first time that any of you ever played any kind of contact sport? The first time you thought, what would you say? Man, I just need to get hit one time. And once I've been hit, I kind of understand what that feels like, and I kind of know what it is, and now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ready for how it goes. Now, I'm not as traumatized. You know, like I, you know, I hate to keep using all these sports analogies, but I remember one time we, 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 uh, we, we had a person that came out from another sport, and they came in, they were very good at the other sport, and they were very much an athletic, an athletic person. But, they, but then contact happened. And, and I remember the first time in a contact drill, this person received contract, a contact, and he was laying on the ground, and as he stood up, I said, this ain't like baseball, is it? And he said, no, it's not. Uh, this, 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 is a, this is a little different deal here. What, what's all this collision stuff? And, and, but, but if you can't handle collision, you can't play that sport, right? Now, you may be athletic, but if you can't handle that, so what happens is once you've experienced it and experienced it enough, you go, well, you know what? I got Just like today, you know, the poor guy that's getting, you know, and I'm not going to weigh in on that today, the poor officer that's, you know, everybody's talking about, you didn't engage. You didn't engage at the school shooting, and now the guy's going to be charged, and they're trying to figure out what they can charge with or what they can't, and what did all the guys who called this morning, we've used this analogy before, 
And they said it, all the guys in training, they said all the training we can muster when it comes to law enforcement, when it comes to military, we can't, we can't train you with live rounds because then everybody would be killed in practice. So you really don't know how somebody's going to react to what? You're actually facing live rounds. So, but once you face live rounds and it's happened and you realize kind of what it's like, what? It's a new game now. And that's what he's talking about. Just understand the reality of the situation and you'll feel the effects of it less because you'll know what, you know, you, you, you're kind of getting in shape a little bit now. You're understanding it. He said, to the extent that we discover this law of sin within ourselves, we will begin to abhor it and fight against it. You know, you, if you ever want to really get ready to destroy something, you've got to get to the point that you hate it. And, and, and we've talked about this a lot in here over the years, and it's important. The biggest problem with Rick Burgess, right here, the biggest problem with Rick Burgess, I didn't see victory over my sin until I actually hated it. Guess when I didn't see victory over it? When I liked it. You know, most of us sin because that's what we want to do, and we'll get into that here today. But, but the, the problem I had is, is being convinced that life under the authority of Christ was truly better than sin. You know, it, it's, it, it is um, anything that we allow to stay in our life, it's still just there because we don't love Jesus more than it. We've talked about that a lot, but it's true. Until you abhor the situation, until you hate the situation, or hate this about yourself, or hate this sin, you'll never see victory over it. Because what does Jesus tell us? You need to see sin the way I do. And I hate it. And so until we hate it, we can never defeat it. And then if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, and, uh, and those of you that may be members of the same church that I am, and I know we've got quite a diverse group in here, you heard Danny preach on this, but you may have missed this particular uh, Sunday. I don't know that there's a better book of the Bible that goes more with this book than First John. Because, you know, anytime people think that we never see victory over anything and nothing ever changes and, and obedience is not important, and, you know, and, and then I say, well, have you just taken First John and skipped that whole, the whole, because John really comes after us on this issue, and look what he says. As a matter of fact, if you read all of chapter 3, all of chapter 3, if I could summarize, it says, if you want to know who's really been redeemed and those who haven't, just like, look at the way they live. And listen to what he says in, in 1 John 3, in verse 9. No one, I want you to, don't get, don't, let's not hurry. No one. It doesn't say some, a few. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. It goes back to what we've said, and God has said this, has convicted me with this. If we claim that God has entered our spirit fully, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of the great I am, the same power that raised Jesus the Son from the dead, has now entered our spirit and the seed of God's complete power has now made our spirit alive, and it hadn't changed us? Well, that don't say much about God, does it? And see, John says, well, that's not possible. We all know that's possible, and I want to make sure everybody hears this crystal clear, verse 9, no one, say it again, no one, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That doesn't mean stumbles. That doesn't mean mistakes. You know, the, the biggest thing that I've noticed as the Holy Spirit begins to become more powerful and begins to overtake 
uh, my, the, the, the war in me, it doesn't mean that I never have struggles again, but it certainly means I certainly can't be comfortable with them anymore. What John is saying is anybody who just stays around in sin and it don't bother them, well, God's seed's not in them. And that's important to get that. No one born of God keeps on sin because God's seed has now entered them. And what we're saying is, and it just hasn't changed. You know what that means? It, you know, even Jesus used this analogy. You know, you can take seeds and throw them around, but if it doesn't land on fertile soil and it doesn't get water, it don't grow. It doesn't get a little sunshine. It don't grow. Well, what he's saying is if God's seed really entered your body and it hadn't produced anything, then there's something wrong. That's not legalism, guys. I know people are so quick to bring out the legalism thing. You know why? Because they don't want to deal with the fact that there's a call to holiness in the Bible and we're not willing to deal with it. So, so the Bible says the Holy Spirit maintains within us, in this verse right here, a this is big, a prevailing desire for holiness. Now let me ask you the question, and, I'll, and I've asked myself this question, and be honest with yourself. We can't move forward if you just keep saying the things you know you're supposed to say and you don't really examine yourself. Can you honestly say, and I hope it's a yes, you have a desire for holiness? I mean, you, you want to be holy. I mean, this is something, you're drawn to holiness and you're repulsed by things that aren't holy. Now, I'm going to give you a test on this that can be difficult, okay? Adrian Rogers said, this may not mean that you ever, you won't ever sin again, but it will mean that you never are comfortable with it again. Be careful. Be careful because this is the deception of the adversary, and I've been guilty of it. Okay, this brother to brother, I've been guilty of this. Not anymore. And I have brothers who keep doing this, and, and it concerns me, and I'm trying to hold them accountable on this because I need to be held accountable on it as well. It's not really good if you can say that you got exposed to some soft porn-ridden HBO, The Hangover, some nasty movie, or you listen to some nasty music, and you think, out of your arrogance, but you're wrong, that you're so strong that it doesn't bother you. No, to be so strong would mean it would bother you. Because the spirit would be so strong, it would make you grotesquely uncomfortable. So if being around things that Jesus abhors and hates doesn't bother us, that isn't our great strength. That's a weakness. Because if we were strong in Christ, it would bother us so much we wouldn't want anything to do with it. You, know, you ever have people that now I shouldn't have done this, but you know I don't want to be. I wouldn't say this just to anybody because I don't want to be a bad example to people that are you know immature in the faith. But I watched this. Now, I shouldn't have watched it, but I did. And now let me tell you, there was some funny stuff in there. Now some of it's really bad. And then you'll hear this. But now see that that doesn't really bother me. Well, I got news for you. That's a confession. That's that's not anything to be proud of. That's a confession of sin. Because you just said that the Holy Spirit is so weak and you didn't bother you. And, and, and so that, that should not be, the, and I have been guilty of that, and it won't happen again. Romans 7, 21 said this. When Paul's talking about that even when he tries to do good, he's actually separating the follower of Jesus from the unbeliever because those without the Holy Spirit are content in darkness. Paul wasn't saying this was okay with him in Romans chapter 7. He's not saying it's okay. He's frustrated by the whole thing. He said, here I am trying to do good, and he's calling it, but evil is always right there. But he hates the fact that evil is there. He's not okay with it. And let me tell you something. 
a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who's been redeemed by the Holy Spirit, say it with me, guys, will never be content in darkness. Darkness should bother those who've been redeemed by Christ, especially those that are being sanctified. Not because of how, what great self-control we have or how, how, how self-righteous we are, because Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit really is that strong. This is about glorifying Him. Hey, why are you leaving here, Rick? Because of Jesus. I'm not trying to look good. I'm trying, I'm, I just can't stand it. Jesus has changed me. I can't be here anymore. We started the accountability here, and it was, it's a good one, too. If somebody does something, this is mainly evolves around our entertainment that we seem to be so cavalier with. And somebody will come in and say, hey, I went to so-and-so the other night. How was that? Eh, well, you know, I mean, that's some stuff. And then I said, well, how did Jesus like it? Because he got to go to it. And you know what you get? Eh, he didn't like it. But what if you have to be told he didn't like it? You didn't feel that he didn't like it? We just drag Jesus around everywhere. I mean, it's like we just don't, hey Jesus, don't, hey, don't, don't, don't throw me into the pits of hell, but don't hassle me. Think about that. I mean, I mean, looking at the cross, looking at the cross, the brutality of our sin, the nastiness of Rick Burgess's sin. And Jesus says, as as you saw Stephen, as we talked about, and we studied Acts, same thing. Don't hold this against them. That's how the, the, the thief turned. If you read all, the, read all the Gospels, both thieves are mocking Jesus, not just one. They both are. And the turning point for the one who, spent, who was going to be with Jesus in paradise was he saw Jesus look at all these people that were mocking him, spitting on him, saying everything about him, had beat him within an inch of his life, and he heard him say, Father, don't hold this against them. They don't know what they're doing. And one thief said, that is obscure. That's absurd. There's no way this guy's one of us. That's what turned him. So can you imagine me looking around at Jesus at the cross, you know, in Calvary Road, those of you that were in that study, that was early on. You know, Roy Hessian talks about this. You, you look at that cross, you're going under it, and you see what Jesus has done for you, and your response is, I'll be doing the bare minimum. I appreciate you. Thank you for that. But you can expect... After all that you did for me, you can expect the bare minimum. I hope I don't have to do a whole lot. I'm not going to have to like change. But I'm going to believe in you, and I'm going to say thank you for forgiving my sins. Don't send me to hell, but please. As, as far as the rest of my life, I, I'm going to go out here, and as long as I'm in the world, I'm going I'm to live for the world. See, the only problem is, guess what James told us in the study of James? Guess what Jesus told us? If we choose to be a friend of the world, we make ourselves what? An enemy of God. That's a big statement. Father, I gotta give my heads up. You don't want to be an enemy of God. He wins. You don't want to be an enemy of God. So the world is going to take us to death. God is taking us to life, and we keep choosing darkness. Look, I've, I've done it. I, I, I was just frustrated with myself. But it says this is what separates the follower of Jesus from the unbeliever, unbeliever, and that's whether or not we are content in darkness. Romans 7, 14 through 25, if you read the, the differences in, in this, and we'll look at, if you have your Bible or something your Bible on it, I'll go into some more of Romans. Romans chapter 7, we'll go a little further this time, and we're going to go 14 through 25. Again, this is Romans 7, for those of you that may be turned into that. So here it is, 14 through 25. Listen to what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual, 
for I am the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So, so now it is no longer that I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. There's, there's, that's the enemy, the flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now look at, look at 20. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then in 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So what this is doing is really separating us into three different categories. And if you remember this in the book, Jerry does a great job of laying out these, these categories, and we'll do that now. Here are the three different categories uh, to understand the enemy's nature and his tactic to destroy us. Number one, Scripture tells us that the seat of indwelling sin is in the heart. If you want to win this battle, guys, it should not even surprise us that the dying world screams what? Follow your heart. Satan himself might as well have a bullhorn, and everybody he can get to say it, Satan's like, that's, that, that's the script I handed out. You know how you, you, have you ever seen these shows that will break down what they call the deep state of media, and they'll show you clips that media all over the country are all saying the same phrases like it was handed out? Well, Satan has handed out to a lost and dying world the script, follow your heart. Because he knows what the Bible actually says about the heart. And can I, can I just tell you, I'll let you in on the little, a little it's not good. Um, it says, from within, for from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. And by the way, all these things that they say the heart produces can be found in Mark 7, 21 through 23. Just for time, I'm just giving you these verses. Genesis 6, 5 and Luke 6, 45. The word heart in Scripture is used in various ways. Sometimes it means our reason, our understanding. Sometimes our affections and emotions, and sometimes even our will, not God. Generally, it denotes the whole soul of man and its faculties, not individually, but as they all work together in doing either good or evil. The mind, as it reasons, discerns, judges, and the emotions, as they like or dislike, the conscience, as it determines and warns, and the will, as it chooses or refuses, are all together. If you look in Scripture, they're all called the heart. But what does the Bible tell us about the heart in Jeremiah 17? 9 and 10. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful and unsearchable to do any but God alone. Even as believers, we do not know our own hearts. 1 Corinthians 4, 3, 5. Put that down. 1 Corinthians 4, 3, and 5. None of us can discern fully the hidden motives, the secret intrigues, the, the, the windings, the turnings of the heart. And in this unsearchable heart dwells the law of sin. Much of sin's strength lies in this that we fight with an enemy that we cannot fully search out. And then I love this out of James 1.22. You remember when James when we went through the book of James? This is James 1.22. The heart is also deceitful. It excuses. It rationalizes. It justifies our action. It blinds us to the entire area of sin in our lives. It causes us to deal with sin using only 
Only halfway measures are to think the mental assent to the Word of God is the same as obedience. James is basically saying, believing is one thing, but doing is another. And I got news for you. The heart is an issue. And he goes on and on to give us more and more scripture about the heart. So let's be clear. The number one thing that we cannot do if we want to win the battle of sin creeping at our door is you cannot follow your heart. You got to follow scripture. You got to follow Jesus. So does it surprise anybody in this room that the world screams what? Follow your heart. Let me tell you, dads in here, do not tell your children to follow their heart. Just follow your heart, baby. You, you, don't, you, you might as well curse them. I mean, you just handed a curse down on them. Do not follow your heart. You know why? Because the heart is deceitful, and no man can fully understand it. I love this when he did a David's prayer. Search me, O God, and know what? My heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalms 139, 23 through 34. God's primary means of searching our hearts this way is through what? The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's from Hebrews 4. Write this down, 12. So, so can we be any clearer about the heart? Can we be any clearer about that? So the number one thing, if we want to, to understand the nature and the tactics of, of our evil desires, we do not follow our heart. Number two, indwelling sin works largely through our own desires. James taught us this, didn't he? What did James tell us? I'll tell you why you sin. You want to. It's not because Satan's tempting you. It's not because you're under some demonic force. That certainly can happen, especially if you open your mind up to that or invite them into your life. But most of us sin simply because we want to. So how, so how do we remedy that? So... Jerry did a really good job of this. He said, ever since his fall in the Garden of Eden, man has listened to his desires more than his reason. <laughs> How y'all think Eve got him to eat that apple? He wasn't he wouldn't reasoning about it because he'd been reasoning about it. He would have said, no, no, God said we're not going to do that. And God told me to make sure you knew that, and I've told you that. And whatever this serpent is telling you is a lie, I reasoned that God said not to do this, and I'm going to stand and do my job like God told me to be to do. I'm going to protect you even from yourself. We're not eating the from the fruit. And I, and you went over to the to the serpent and said, "If you ever come near my wife again, I'll kill you in the name of God. I hope he crushes you." Ah, but he went with desire, didn't he? <laughs> he went with desire. He saw that his wife liked that, and 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 he liked it too. Desire has come to be. Think about this. Back to the world again. Desire has come to be the strongest faculty of a man's heart. My desires. Let, let me get this too. Change this. Now, some of you that have been with me a long time, you go, we know this. But let's, let's, let's repetition. Well, you always got to do reps. God is not here to give you and me our desires. Now, you hear that a lot. No, he's here to change our desires. So that our desires would be in line with him. 
No, Lord, give me your desire for my life, not mine. Mine's flawed. How many of you have planned your life incorrectly? My hand is up. Okay, so, so, and how many of you that God did something that there's no way you would have done? Okay, so, so what he's saying is if, if you'll come under my authority, I, I was kind of going back and forth with somebody who was disagreeing with me today on my, my, my hate of the health, wealth, and prosperity her, heresy. And the person was trying to talk about faith and faith. I said, no, let me tell you what faith is. And he even took issue with my wife's book and with me. I said, let me tell you what faith is. Faith is when no matter what God does, you say he's right. That's faith. Not I'm going to have faith so you can give me a car. I have faith so you can give me a plane. Look, we've said this before. Health, wealth is not an indicator of somebody being lost or somebody being with God. It's no indicator of anything. Because we see God using wealthy people. We see God using poor people. We see God using people somewhere in between. And we've also seen wealthy people who were, they were enemies of God. I've seen poor people that are enemies of God. I've seen people in between that are enemies of God. So that is no indicator of someone's spiritual health. What's an indicator of somebody's spiritual health is holiness. It's holiness. It's holiness. But we think that the whole thing that should run us now is our desires. You know, whatever you feel like doing, what makes you happy? What fulfills your flesh? I mean, the whole world. The, why do you think they put naked women on and half-naked women on billboards? Because you're not going to reason to buy their product. They may get your desires to buy their product. I mean, y'all do realize that if you buy a certain automobile, a pretty lady's not just going to start riding in it. <laughs> right? I, I mean, and, but that's what you want you to believe, right? That's the message they're selling. Buy this car and look what happens. Why do why you think they sell it that way? Yeah, it works. I mean, it, it, and, and like I say, there's nothing that, that y'all must say. I love when people claim that, like I say before, well, I'm not really affected by what I see in here. Nobody can really. That's how I make a living. I'll have people email me if I start talking about a fried bologna biscuit. They'll just say, I'm in the drive-thru. I don't even know how I got here, but I got to have a bologna biscuit. <laughs> You know what I mean? You know, you know that people pay $3 million for 30 seconds of your time during the Super Bowl. $3 million. You know why they do that? Because people respond with their desires. They don't respond with their mind or their reasoning or their spirit. And so he says this has become the way the world is. And Hebrews calls it this. The world recognizes this and makes appeals to our desires. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says, I'll tell you why. Because the pleasures of sin. Hebrews 11.25, a buddy of mine just around the corner, he had the same experience that I did. I'm going to tell you, men's ministry, and I appreciate the honesty of this. I appreciate the honesty of this. The honesty of this, I'll, I'll tell you, both men and women, and there's one that's just happened involving women. One, some of the biggest problems that I've had dealing with men, and really it was a problem dealing with myself, is that they say sin is pleasurable to me. You know, My buddy around the corner, he said, I had a guy talking to him, and he said, I, I, got, I only got one problem. He said, some of the best days of my life involve a beer in one hand and a woman in the other. Is this going to be better than that? I understand all the truth you're telling me, but is it going to be better than that? I love this. I like drinking beer, and I like getting a buzz, and I like sleeping with women. Is this going to be better than that? Well, the answer is yes, but, but until you've been justified, you're thinking, what's so bad about that? Now, eventually that leads to destruction, but in, 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 the, in the present, in the moment, Sin can be quite pleasurable to the flesh in a moment. That's why you got to be careful. Why do you think people get addicted to drugs? I, I remember watching this one guy that got addicted to heroin, and he said he was playing around with it, he was playing around with it, 
He said he tried it for the first time, and the minute it affected his body, he thought, oh, no. We know about that, don't we? Oh, no. I want to feel like this for the rest of my life. I had a young lady tell me one time, addicted to drugs. When I took the drugs, it made me feel the way I always wanted to feel. I thought it made me the person I wanted to be. Now, you don't know it's killing you. See, that, that's the bad thing about sin. You don't know. Like I said, uh, I, I told you the time I walked back into a bar after I'd been redeemed and started getting sanctified, and I said, wait a minute. It looks like these bottles are drinking people. They're not drinking it. I could see it was killing me, but not before. Before, it looked like a blast. I, well, I was, the reason why I wasn't a follower of Christ is what? I was content in darkness. I, I preferred it. And sin can be pleasurable, and that's the reason why you can't follow your desires, because you, if it's just desires, for that moment, you know what you say? The desires seem fine. I guess we're good. So it can't be that. Not all desire is evil, of course. Paul speaks to his desire to know Christ. We can have good desires, just like everything else. That's in Philippians 3.10, if you want to write that down. How about the desire of salvation? I, I desire Jesus. That's good. Romans 10.1. The desire to, uh, to, uh, for, for, uh, for God says his desire for his children, what, is to grow into maturity. What about your desire for your children to be followers of Christ? All that's good. Be careful with desires because they can be deceptive. What we're speaking here is about evil desire that leads to sin. James said we're tempted when we're dragged away and enticed what, by our own evil desires. That's James 1.14 if you want to review that. If we are to win the battle for holiness, we must, we must recognize that there is a basic problem that lies within us. The truth is our evil desires are constantly searching out temptations to satisfy. Remember this, don't feed the bears. I promise I won't do it again. But does everybody remember don't feed the bears? You know why? Your lusts are never satisfied. It's never enough, is it? It's never enough. You know, that's, that, that's, you, know you do realize, don't you, when it comes to sexual sin, and I hope young men, I hope that the young men here, if y'all are still virgins, please listen to this. The reason what's important about this, the reason why God calls you to sexual purity is, trust me, try to talk to a guy who's already given himself in and he's experienced sex versus a guy who never has. The guy who never has has a much better chance for victory because he didn't know what it's like. That's why the Bible says don't away from that now. That's intended for spouses, husbands and wives under the blessing of marriage, for, for certainly for reproduction, but also for, for, for fun and for pleasure. But see, what happens when you start playing around with it outside of marriage and you've experienced it, now we've got a whole new ball game. Because your flesh says, I remember that now. But someone, I, I was dealing with a young man who was a virgin, and I was giving all my speech, and he finally stopped me and said, hey, with all due respect, I don't think like that. And then he, finally, he had to tell me, you realize I've never done that, so I don't know what you're talking about. I don't struggle like that. I gave my life to Christ. I solidified myself under his authority. I certainly am not perfect, and I certainly have struggles, but I don't have that one. Really, that's all men ever talk about to young men. Yeah, but yes, young men that have already done something. I never have, and I don't intend to, so I don't struggle with it. I love when he said this, I don't think like that. And I thought, I'm more impressed with you than you could ever be in me. And, uh, and so... But, 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 but catch this great beard, though. But let's keep listening to me. The truth is, it'll never be satisfied. Consider the particular temptations to which you are 
especially vulnerable. You know, we all don't struggle with the same thing, do we? And here's the thing we got to stop doing and stop it now. Let's stop being so vocal about sins we don't struggle with. Oh, I got a lot to say about that. I got a lot to say about things I don't struggle with. You know, we really get up on our high horse about homosexuality, don't we? Because now some of you here may have struggled with it, I'm just assuming. But, uh, but a lot of us really talk loud about the sin of homosexuality because it don't affect us. You know, like I said, until it shows up in your own house. But it really is a struggle. And, 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 the, and, the, and the, some of the best ground that I made dealing with a young man who struggled with this was when I acknowledged that his struggle and my struggle were actually the same. It's just a different desire. My struggle for females was like his struggle for the same gender. He just had a sexual sin. And let me tell you something. I understood the, the hold of sexual sin. So I got to the point, I said, here's an idea. I won't justify mine if you won't justify yours. Yours isn't special, and it doesn't require additional redemption. But it's also not special and gets a pass. So you were born that way. So was I. I, I, I was born an adulterer, a fornicator, a liar. Should I have just said, hey, I'm just going to go with that. I, I'm just, I'm just going I'm, I'm to let that go. That's just the way I was born. No, we were born to die and go to hell, so we don't go with how you were born. Look for how you can be redeemed. And God made me that way. No, he didn't. Sin did. Sin made you that way. God didn't make you that way. That, that's why you have to be redeemed. So the heterosexual sinner and the homosexual sinner have to be redeemed the same way. It's, it's the same redemption that we both require. So don't let it become about desires because those desires will never be satisfied and also be wise about what you can handle and can't handle. I, I remember the first time that I, I was talking to um, someone I'm very close to, and also they were saying for them, uh, porn has never been a struggle. I said, really? So a magazine threw out there, it never, it, no. He said, look, I got other struggles. I just never had that one. Wow, really? Wow, that, that must have been nice. You know, he goes, oh, yeah, but I, I had all kinds of problems in other directions. He said, I, I had, I'm just as bad as any man's ever been. I just didn't have that problem. You know? So, so be, don't, be, be careful and find out for some reason what you might be more susceptible to than I would be. And I got to watch out what I might be. That's why you got to watch out for each other. Don't drag me in a place I can't handle and you can't. You know, the Bible talks about that all the time. Don't take me places you know not good for me. And I won't take you places not good for you. That's why you got to communicate and hold each other accountable. Hey, we're thinking about what I, 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 that's a struggle for me. Oh, okay. You know, if you got a brother that struggles with alcohol, for the love of God, don't bring him around alcohol. You know, no matter how you feel about it, moderation, whatever, you know, there's some people think you shouldn't drink a drop of it. Other people say you drink, you can drink as long as you don't get drunk. It doesn't really matter. And let me tell you young people this. I don't know where y'all come up with the fact that y'all worried about this struggle about alcohol and you still are illegal to drink. Hey, the, the Bible says don't break laws, okay? If you can't legally have alcohol, this you, you, you can't even have this talk yet, okay? It, 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 it's, you're not legal to, to do it. So anyway, so desire. So let's go down to the third one. So we do not feed our desires, right? And we're also wise about what we may struggle with. And here's another one. Boy, we get this one a lot, don't we? Oh, number three. Oh, we hate number three. The third thing we got to understand about indwelling sin is what? We tend to deceive our understanding or reasoning. It always deceives us. Our reason, enlightened by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, stands in the way of sin, gaining mastery over us through our desires. Deceit of the mind is carried on by degrees, little by little. We are first drawn away from watchfulness, then from obedience. We become like Ephraim, of whom God said, 
Foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, and he doesn't even know it. Notice that's in Hosea 7, 9. So what you see is the Bible say, don't be delusional, like I talked about a minute ago, about the place you are. Don't be deceived. Understand you really do have a problem. you got to be aware. you got to be. I love when it says the first thing the adversary does is take away what? Our watchfulness. Don't get apathetic. Don't get lazy. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14? And it's the theme verse of our uh, men's ministry, as it is with many others. And what does he tell men to do? Be watchful. Be watchful. You know, if, if there's uh, Rich Wingo, when he came to talk to us, he did a great visual. You know, first of all, what, be watchful about yourself, and then now you be watchful about your children, be watchful about your wife, be watchful, if you're not married yet, about your friends. You know, everybody be looking. You know, think about this. What happened at Pearl Harbor? Wasn't nobody watching. Because nobody thought anything was going to happen. And by the time somebody noticed it, that, now we got problems. Now stuff's been blown up, we've been killed. You know, so we can't be apathetic about this. Now, boy, when I, when I saw that, he said the enemy's sap is strength and he doesn't even realize it. You ever had sin taken, up, taken over and you just didn't even realize it? And all of a sudden you looked around, what'd you say? How did this ever happen? Well, I had that, I had that wake up call. I'm like, man, I, I was just going to veer off just a little bit. How did this happen? How did I become this man? Little by little. Drawing you, drawing you, drawing you, deceiving you. I love when he says this. Look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Don't think you've arrived. Even when helping a fallen brother, we are to watch ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Galatians 6, 1. Let me tell everybody in here this. So listen to me now, loud and clear. Everybody ready? Under no circumstance, under no circumstance, does any man in here who has a wife start counseling another woman? That's, that's forbidden. That's a no. What I do here, if I get an email from a woman who's struggling, I will, I will look at it, see what it is, and I will say, I'm now sending this to my wife. Because see, what happens is, Women will cling to a man emotionally. And then a man, once a woman's clung to him emotionally, before you know it, he begins to cling to her, what? Physically. Men and women who are not married to each other don't belong alone talking about in-depth, real emotional things. You know what else happens? You cancel a woman about her husband, suddenly you become the man that she wishes he was. And now we got real problems. Do not be foolish even when you're trying to help somebody. And for those of you young guys, just like me, when you're trying to help someone that's really in a bad, bad place, what did I tell you, Brooks? I said, when, you, when you're up there on a cliff and you got somebody that's on that cliff and you're trying to pull them up, what's easier? Them pull you off the cliff or you get them up to where you are? They can pull you off a lot easier. Don't go into places you don't belong. And how about this? Don't you dare go take on spiritual warfare if you're not solid. Don't run up in somebody's house where there's something spiritual going on and you not be where you need to be with Jesus because that spirit's going to get you. So you take this very serious. Don't be, de don't be deceived. Don't be foolish. I love when he says this. We are often drawn away from obedience by what it, well, y'all heard me say. This. When I read this, I said, Jerry, I love you so much. We are often drawn away from obedience by what? The abuse of grace. We have got a Western church that is full of grace abusers. Abuse, 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 grace, 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 while ignoring everything the Bible says about obedience. 
I love grace. I'm saved by grace. But how disrespectful. Everything's, well, you know, you know, God's gracious. Yes, he is. He's slow to anger. Yeah, but he gets there. He gets there. We change the grace of God. Oh, I love this, Jude 4. Thank you, Jude. You know, that was one of Jesus' earthly brothers, too. I bet he was a hoss. We change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. God's given me a pass to do whatever I want to do. Let me show you. What, what does Paul say in Romans 6? I hear some of y'all saying, let's show you how gracious God can be. Certainly not. We've been told so clearly not to be grace abusers, and we act like it's not even in the Bible. If you love me, obey my commands. First John, anyone who says they're with him but they don't obey him is a liar, and the truth's not in him. How do you know who the children of the devil are? They're the ones full of sin. The children of God don't go around in perpetual sin. That's not grace. That's not grace. We abuse grace and we think we can sin and then receive forgiveness by claiming. We abuse grace when after sinning we dwell on the compassion and mercy of God to the exclusion of his holiness and hatred of sin. See, we've, we've made God so gracious we think he don't even hate sin. We, we, sin don't even bother him anymore. He's very gracious. But he says he hates sin and that he's holy and he's called us to be holy. Yes, you know why God is gracious? Because he's holy. And he afforded us grace from his holiness. But his hatred of sin, as I've said before, it didn't end because it can't. That's, that's why Jesus had to go be brutalized like that. So, so this thing that God's gracious, we're thankful for that, but that doesn't mean that he just got to a point where he's so gracious he didn't even care about sin anymore. Do not lose the holiness of God. And, and at the end, as he begins to ready to, to, to wrap up, he says, furthermore, we must never consider that our fight against sin is at an end. The heart is unsearchable. Our evil, evil desires are unsatisfiable. And our reason is constantly in danger of being deceived. Write those down. Our heart is unsearchable. Our evil desires are insatiable. And our reason is constantly in danger of being deceived. Do you know what he's saying to us? Love you. I've redeemed you, but you haven't arrived. Look at this. Jesus said this. I love this when Jesus said this in Matthew 26, 41. Ooh, here it is. This is Jesus. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Hey, watch and pray now. Jesus, we're with you. Why are you telling us that? Because you're going to need this. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. So what does that mean? Let's be watchful and let's be devout men of prayer. Right? What did, I love this. Solomon warned us in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guys, let's take these things today. Let's apply them to our lives. Because, look, we've acknowledged we're in a battle, but here's the good news. You know, we just heard how to win. We didn't just come in here and go, well, I guess it's over. We're not going to be a bunch of Eeyores like we talked about. I guess we'll never make it. No. We've come in here, and what we and I get tired, by the way, of men acting like they never, it's never, it's never, never I got news for you. I, things are better for me. Jesus changed me, and I do not struggle with the sins that I want to struggle with. Not because of me, but because of the power of Jesus. Hey, how about this? Rick, are you just the way you've always been? No. And I hope a year from now, when you see me, you'll find, man, he's, he's still growing. Why? Because of Jesus. What was my part in that? To access it, to pursue him.
to love him. Pursue him. You pursue him, you'll love him. And when you love him, you'll obey him. The reason why you don't obey him is you don't love him. It's what he said. I mean, it's not, I didn't come up with that. It's what he said. So, so let, let's, let's leave here encouraged. Let's not leave here demoralized. You know, what we did today is say, let's acknowledge we got an opponent that can win. Like I've said before, look, Jesus, those of us with Jesus, that's who's going to win. But, and we bring no glory to him, the adversary in our flesh and our heart and our desires and our reasoning, they're not a homecoming game. It's battle. I fought the good fight. What did we say last week? Jesus, what did Paul say? We said last week, I take my flesh and I have to beat it into submission. What did C.S. Lewis tell us? When you become justified and word gets to the flesh, it begins to fight for its life. So it's a battle. But what? We were Jesus. He wins. Everything we need to overcome sin in our life is provided with full righteousness found in Jesus. Not some of God, all of God. So access that. And every time that your desires, your heart, and your reasoning come against you, say, I'm with Jesus. And go tell him about it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for this, this encouraging message of victory. Thank you, Lord, for loving us as much as you did. Forgive us when we take your love and grace and abuse it. I pray that you sanctify us to make us new people and continue that process. Thank you for these devout men that make this a priority every week. Thank you for those that may be listening for the first time, watching for the first time. Maybe they too, this has become the routine for them. You continue to sanctify us all through the power of your holy word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all go get them now. <laughs>